You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and welcome to Next Question. Today, we're diving into the massive, frenetic, and very lucrative world of esports. Last fall, I had the opportunity to go to a live esports event. It was my first, and let me tell you, it was nuts. Crazy. There's a little worldwide wrestling kind of feel about the whole thing, too. It was the grand finals of the 2019 Overwatch League. Overwatch being a popular first-person shooter game that can be played by lots of people at the same time. Attackers incoming in 30 seconds. Let's shoot for a new high score. It was held at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia, which is remarkable because that's usually where the city's major traditional sports teams play. The Flyers, the 76ers, but on this day... Instead of shootouts and buzzer beaters, the packed arena was riveted by two teams of six, sitting in chairs, staring at computer screens. Now, the game they were playing was being projected on a big screen above them. And I guess it didn't hurt that at stake was a prize pool of $1.7 million. The rise of esports is a really fascinating space right now because people are coming together in the same way that traditional sports brings people together. This is Anita Sarkeesian, a feminist media and gaming critic. It's a camaraderie. It's an excitement. It's, a, it, you know, in real time, you are rooting for your teams and you're excited and you learn all the stats and everything. So I think there's a lot of value there. We'll return to Anita a little bit later to take a critical look at the competitive gaming industry. But with esports poised to break the billion dollar mark this year, that's billion with a B, my first question is, 
How did it get so huge? To answer that, we have to go back to the arcade. In the 70s and 80s, video games were something you did by yourself, remember? Yeah, at the arcade. Or a little bit later in front of the family TV in the basement. Maybe you crowded around a really good player, or maybe you'd have some friends over to watch and see who could get to the highest level. But that's really as social as video games got. So the games, remember, they weren't multiplayer. This is Bobby Kotick, the CEO of Activision, one of the industry's biggest video game companies. So the only multiplayer experience you could have was I had a controller, you had a controller, the two of us played with one TV against each other. And so they weren't these social experiences where you could play with anyone from around the world. But that all changed in the 90s with the advent of the World Wide Web. Take a spin, now you're in with the techno set. You're going surfing on the internet. The internet made online competitive gaming possible, even though it was years before home connections were powerful enough to accommodate it. The web also gave rise to the popularity of computer games and more sophisticated virtual 3D worlds. The 90s also ushered in a new genre of video game, the first-person shooter. In these games, players essentially become a gun or some other sophisticated weapon, patrolling a suspenseful maze on the hunt for people or things to kill. In games like Doom, which came out in 1993, you could play as a team fighting a common enemy, or you could seek other players out and kill them before they killed you. As internet connections improved over the decade, it got easier and easier to find people to play with at any time of day from all over the world. Martin, you take point, knock out that 42. Harding and Brooks, go get the truck. Meet us at the front of the chateau. Everyone else, follow Martin. When Activision released Call of Duty in the early 2000s, it upped the ante of first-person shooter games with real-world war settings incredibly realistic graphics, and a more interactive group experience. Again, here's Bobby Kotick. You could talk to people with a headset, you could text them and chat with them, and the games became much more social, much more multiplayer. And that's really what created like games as a spectator experience. So when did this whole thing uh, blow up in terms of having stadiums full of people to watch people playing these games on a giant screen. So 20 years ago, we released this game called StarCraft. And it was a popular game, but something happened in South Korea that was not through our own um, initiatives, but there were roughly 5 million people that signed up to play this game. Now, this is a country where the population is 60 million people. Five million of them were playing StarCraft. And what happened is they started playing professionally. Sponsors started signing them up. Arenas started hosting matches. Three cable channels popped up. 24-hour, seven-day-a-week cable channels televising StarCraft matches. And we were watching all of this and saying, this is incredible. Like, you know what? what and what is the, like, germination of it? Why were people doing this? Well, one they were invested players, but two, people got a sense of belonging, purpose, meaning, the same things that you saw in traditional sport, the camaraderie of sport, but for people who weren't necessarily athletes. 
South Korea may have been ahead of the curve with dedicated gaming events and cable channels, but by the end of the 90s, American gamers, wooed by the prospect of making big money off their pastime, were stepping out of the basement and into live events to show off their skills in public. After the turn of the millennium, the level of participation, number of tournaments, and prize money exploded. And once streaming was introduced in the 2010s, gamers found themselves with career options. Go on world tours or get paid to play online at your own house. According to Bobby Kotick, a really good professional gamer today can pull in some serious bank. How much can a professional gamer make in a year? tens of millions of dollars because they can make money from being professional so they get the prizes and the salaries and the compensation comes from a team but they're also streamers and so these are some of the most like if you look at the internet streamers who are the most successful these people are making millions and millions of dollars a year how through endorsements so combination or of sponsorship sub- endorsements subscribers? subscriptions their share of advertising dollars um, their sponsorship, their appearance fees, but endorsements, you know, endorsements, they're no different than professional athletes. So is there, for example, the LeBron James of video games? Um, not yeah. yet, well, right? Here's what I would say. The, um, the, not stars like, Le, like a LeBron where he like transcends popular culture. But I think, like within the community, you know, Overwatch has players who are very well recognized within the community of Overwatch players. Somebody said to me the other day that until a famous Overwatch player is dating a Kardashian, <laughs> we won't get to that level of popular cultural awareness. But that may not be too far away, right? It's happening. I think we're seeing, like, you know, the, these people are stars, and they're becoming more impactful in popular culture. I think popular culture is embracing video games in a way that it never has before, so it will happen. The players I saw at the Overwatch tournament definitely seemed as revered as any pro athlete. They were serious about their game and people took them seriously too. But what really stood out to me about the players was that there were no women which seemed odd considering that something like 45% of U.S. gamers are female. How is it possible that none are making it to the big leagues? When we come back, we'll get to the bottom of my next question. In a sport that has absolutely nothing to do with physical prowess, why can't more women get in on the action? I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. To find out where all the female gamers are, I called one up. Hello? Kristen? Hi, how are you? Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for doing this. This is Kristen Valnicek, a 28-year-old professional gamer living in L.A. She plays under the moniker... Kitty plays. Hello, my beautiful friends, and welcome to my... Kristen has actually competed at live tournaments like the one I went to in Philly. So some women do make it to the big leagues. In fact, at a tournament in Korea in 2018, Kristen won. But she's since retired from the tournament circuit. I have uh, done really successfully in tournaments, um, but my main focus has always been around... Uh, daily content creation. Daily content creation means she plays video games on a streaming service called Twitch, and people all over the world log in and watch. So Twitch is a live streaming platform. Um, People come in and they watch you uh, play your game, essentially. And you've got a webcam that's like a picture-in-picture on the TV. Uh, so showing all of your reactions to the game you're playing. And while you play, you make commentary, you interact with a live chat, um, and just build a community through that connection that you have with this live community. And what a community. Kristen has more than 1 million followers on Twitch, which makes her the third most followed female streamer. In a world where Kristen's skills and stats come with a big gender asterisk. She's a big success. I've been a gamer pretty much my entire life. I mean, my oldest memory, they say, uh, is around three. And I remember sitting in my dad's lap and, uh, you know, pressing keys and playing with the mouse when he would be playing Doom and Quake, which were definitely not appropriate games for a three-year-old to be playing. But I mean, it led to this, so it's all okay. Um, But no, he was a huge influence in my life with gaming, and so was my brother. So just my entire life, anytime friends had like little game consoles around, um, and then eventually I got my own, and then computer gaming really rose in popularity. Uh, So there was never a time in my life when gaming was separate. 
By the time she was nine, she was so good, she was beating her dad. But stepping out into the gaming world as a teen, she realized there wasn't really anyone else out there like her. When I think back to, you know, my gaming prime years when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, um, I did not have a single uh, role model of a woman in gaming professionally. Um, There wasn't a single one, not even one. And there wasn't Twitch to see that there was um, other female gamers like me. Kristen soon realized that her gender also made her a target for some unwanted attention. I've been in in online communities ever since I was 13, playing Halo 2 and COD 4 and Modern Warfare 2 and these online console lobbies, which as soon as you talked as a girl, you were either getting hit on or hated on um, for those early, early days. And being a 13-year-old, being full of hormones, it was like a lot to learn how to deal with. Would they throw obscenities your way? I mean, how how rough did it get? Sometimes. I mean, that... It, 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 <laughs> it, it can definitely get rough. Um, and back then, I thought that for me, that was a really important time in growth in my life because I so quickly got to learn about, you know, why people are unkind um, and kind of the psychology behind it and how a lot of it has nothing to do with me. But when I press Kristen for details about the kind of harassment she faced then and faces now as a professional, she pushed back. Talking about uh, the ways that people can harass people on the internet really ends up harming the people that are on the internet even more when people see how they're able to target. And like, I can li- I've been targeted by every type of harassment on the internet, but I've never spoken about it unless it's privately to, you know, people in my community to mentor them through it or to learn how to block the holes that's creating that um, attack. Um, but it, when people recognize that they can gain attention and can actually affect your life through the computer screen and are shown how to do it, um, it just makes it worse for everybody. So I really try not to have that uh, discussed just to protect not only myself, but my peers. To understand Kristen's position here, I decided to get outside of the industry, which is where Anita Sarkeesian comes in. Anita is the founder of Feminist Frequency, an educational nonprofit that critiques the media. So what do you think about the philosophy that talking about harassment only encourages more people to harass? It absolutely does. Um, If you, it's this vicious circle where if you talk about the harassment you're receiving to try to get support or awareness of of the harassment, you will get harassed worse. And it just, it happens every single time. And so I will never judge someone for not speaking up about being harassed or being afraid to speak up about the harm and abuse that they're facing. But I also know that that having people speak up allows other folks to see that they're not in it alone and that they're not the only ones. So it's a bit of a catch-22, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. You know, it can be really hard for folks who are trying to maintain a career to speak up about harassment or to speak up about abuse in the industry or or things that they're facing because they're afraid they're going to lose their audience or, or worse, that they're going to get harassed for having these kinds of opinions. Anita can really speak to this because she experienced it firsthand. 
In 2014, she was a central figure in the large-scale harassment campaign against women known as Gamergate. But her relationship to gaming goes way back. I've been gaming since I was a kid. I started on the NES. (laughs) I didn't actually have a system at home. I would go to my neighbor's house (laughs) to be able to play games. Uh, It took a really long time for me to convince my immigrant parents that gaming would not rot my brain. (laughs) Uh, So I've been (laughs) gaming. Yeah, I've been gaming for quite a while, kind of on and off. Right. I think the games and games communities, you know, tend to be a little alienating to young women and girls, and especially when I was growing up. And so, you know, popping in and out of it over the years. Uh, But then when I started doing my work with Feminist Frequency around pop culture and feminist analysis of pop culture, gaming was such a natural fit for that. In 2012, Anita announced a Kickstarter project to fund a series of videos looking at how women are portrayed in video games. And that announcement alone made her the target of an overwhelming level of online hate and abuse. We're talking about the um, hundreds of thousands of death threats and rape threats flooding all of my social media, um, flooding all of my emails, any way that they could communicate with me. They were sending me these threats. Um, They would be written or they would be visual. So pornography is often used as a weapon to... uh, to victimize and to um, humiliate women. So my face would be superimposed on pornographic images or there would be very lifelike drawings of me being raped by video game characters. And this goes on and on. It got very extreme. Um, There's also efforts to dox me, which is to collect and publicly distribute my personal information and those of my family and and the people that I work with. You know, it can get very serious very quickly, and it can be very terrifying. Despite that, Anita completed the project. Welcome to our multi-part video series exploring the roles and representations of women in video games. It ended up being 16 videos made over the course of five years. Hosted by Anita, they examined the many, many sexist ways women are often presented in video games. Such as the damsel in distress. How many times are women in games the object for the male protagonist to rescue? Or the the object in which a, a woman is, is stolen so that the male protagonist has some um, reason for you know, killing 500 aliens or whatever the game is, um, down to extremely uh, violent uh, expressions of um, violence against women, either in the game world or that the player is required to or is given the opportunity to do mm-hmm. in the games. And so, you know, those are just a couple examples. They're, they're not all that extreme. You know, there are examples such as women um, who are a reward, right? So they're not necessarily important in the game, but maybe if you do really well, uh, you'll see a, a picture of a woman scantily dressed or you'll get a kiss at the end or, you know, different types of things like that. The videos made the claim that the effect of these persistent stereotypes extended far beyond the reach of the virtual world of gaming, reinforcing harmful attitudes about women and our culture at large. Nobody really wants to acknowledge that media does have an impact on us. And it's not necessarily a one-to-one correlation. It's not like, you know, you're going to see violence against women in the media and therefore you will then commit violence against women. But there is 
the, there is research that shows that long-term exposure to hypersexualized images tend to make people of all genders more tolerant to sexual harassment, um, more believe easily accepting rape myths, for example. And that has a huge impact in what is already a patriarchal misogynist world. Uh, the way it, it has a huge impact on the way that people perceive women around them, their partners, their mothers, <laughs> you know, the, their coworkers and that sort of thing. So it is it is unsurprising to me that when women started making themselves visible in the game space, that there was some pushback. It's a daily experience. They hear a woman's voice and you'll be mocked. This is Chase Prairie, a gamer we met at the Overwatch tournament who didn't want to give her real name for fear of retaliation online. She says when it comes to competitive team play, it's really hard to advance within the game because of the harassment she faces. You play a game, there are six people on your team, and everyone is expected to be on voice chat and to treat each other as respectable peers and, you know, don't get angry at each other and be patient. And so those emotional responses, if men perceive a woman on their team is like not holding her own because, oh, she's a girl, blah, blah, blah. The games don't become about playing the game well. The game becomes the argument you're having in voice chat instead of the game. And this happens really, really frequently, all the time. And so you can choose to, the act of hitting the higher tiers of the game requires like, you win this game because you work well with your team. And if your team won't take you seriously, you can't win. And so that's part of what's driven um, both my friends and just like general groups of women and uh, LGBTQ people to create their own communities. So we only ever group up with people we trust and people we know. And you know, it, it, there are people who say that means you're not a real Overwatch player because you don't engage with the wider community. And like women don't make it up to the higher tiers for this reason. But it's like we have a valuable experience of the game, despite that, because we fought for our own space. Coming up, how can esports and the gaming industry do better for its female players? From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Given the fact that harassment is still a regular occurrence in gaming, is some level of gender segregation one solution? Kristen Valnichek thinks it may be a good start. I think there's still a huge barrier of entry for women getting into the pro scene and getting into the lobbies to be able to practice against the other pros. So finding a space for them to compete against each other, to get their feet wet, to gain confidence before entering into the male leagues was great. But that was done in a very casual sense with all women involved. Uh, So I think if the leagues did go and switch to a female separated male base, um, that could potentially hurt women in the long run. So your goal is to make it more of a co-ed proposition. Yes, definitely. Because I believe that women can compete at the same level as men in gaming. So my concern is really like, what are the opportunities? Anita Sarkeesian thinks separating the genders is a cop-out. There's lots of discussion around, like, should leagues be gender-separated? Can women join teams? You know, all of those kinds of conversations that I find incredibly frustrating and remnants of, you know, the this idea of, like, who belongs in games and the gatekeeping that happens in gaming. Because it is it would be ridiculous to say that playing a video game is a gendered is gendered in any way, right? Like we can all pick up a controller and play it and we can all train and get good. And some people will be better than others, but their gender doesn't matter here. But in terms of how or if the industry has learned anything from Gamergate, Anita says progress is slow. I think in the time since I started doing my work, what has shifted is a conversation around what we expect from games, that the public is much more educated around issues of racism and homophobia and um, sexism, like there's a bigger demand that gaming studios do better. And so we are seeing that in some ways. We are seeing games that are, you know, less sexist or there's female protagonists or there are non-binary characters coming out in more games, the more trans characters. And that's really exciting. But it's not, you know, the whole industry. There's still all of the sexism, all of the male dominated, all of the, the sort of macho um, you know, mechanics and um, storylines that we have been getting in the past. Are you feeling optimistic as this trend gets bigger and bigger and bigger? I feel like it's a little hard to be optimistic about anything today. <laughs> and oh, I say Anita, that. don't say that. <laughs> Here's the thing. I am, however, optimistic about the fact that whenever I go to events, I run into women who come up to me who are constantly saying, 
I entered the games industry because of you. I want to make the games industry better. Thank you so much for doing your work. It really inspired me. I learned all, all of these new things that I didn't know about before, or I used to be uh, trying to be a part of the boys club. And now I know that I can do better. And, and all of the, and you know, then they tell me about all of the things they're doing in their workplace and the games that they're working on. And so it's, I get a lot of inspiration and hope from the fact that like there is a, a pretty strong group of people who are trying to move this industry forward in a meaningful way. I've had a lot of male developers come up to me over the years and say, you critiqued my game and I'm really glad you did it. Thank you. I'm not going to do that again. And that's one of the best things I can hear because I can't change the past, but we can make the future better. Well, that's positive. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> You had to dig deep, but you gave it to us. I did. So there you have it, listeners. Esports 101. I got quite an education, and I hope you did too. Now, even if you don't play video games, they will continue to play an increasingly important role in our culture. Even big names in professional sports like Alex Rodriguez and Bob Kraft are getting into the game. There's clearly gold in them, their computer screens. Meanwhile, I could not believe the scope and scale of the esports scene back in Philadelphia. And I love the fact that gamers like Anita and Kristen and Chase Prairie are fighting to make sure they get their seat at the console and making sure others do too. Let's hope the gaming industry gets with the program. And that's it for this week's episode. Keep up with Next Question by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And you can keep up with me by following me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and all the rest. And if you need a little news guidance these days, and let's face it, who doesn't, sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, by going to katiecouric.com. Thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, and my next question, I'm Katie Couric. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartRadio and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are Katie Couric, Courtney Litz, and Tyler Klang. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen. Our show producer is Beth Ann Macaluso. The associate producers are Emily Pinto and Derek Clements. Editing by Derek Clements, Dylan Fagan, and Lowell Berlanti. Mixing by Dylan Fagan. Our researcher is Gabriel Luzer. For more information on today's episode, go to katiecouric.com and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at katiecouric. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Uncanny. 
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.